One of the things that I think we really need to be attentive to is scripture. Um, also, one of the things that Dan, Dan brought up in his prayer is just the fact that we are comfortable. And, and culture does have the ability to really form us. And, and scripture is one of those things that helps form us in a good way, in a correct way. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, you know, I'm going to be, I think this, this uh, lesson that I'm going to be uh, doing up here, I think it's a good launching pad for a number of other things that could get more complicated. Uh, for instance, I'm, I'm not talking about, or I'm not going to use the words uh, faith versus reason very much, but that's an interesting, this is an interesting uh, other lesson that could go off of, off of this. Also, how the Holy Spirit uses the word in our lives. I'll definitely touch on that, but there's so much more to talk about. I mean, one of the great encouragements um, just in the last few years of my theological study is just the idea of the means of grace. The Holy Spirit works through the word. What is more, how do we get this, how do we get the canon that we got? There's a little bit of that in here too. This is sort of, again, preparatory material. But this, again, is a good introductory lesson to scripture. And it's also replaying some of the things I've said up here to you all before. Um, I will utter the phrase numerous times that I think will be on my tombstone one day. So, because you've heard it, and you'll be like, oh, I've heard this. So, well, let me pray for us, and we will begin Lord God, thank you that you are here with us. You uphold us. You hold us into existence. You put air on our lungs. And Lord, for many in here, the Holy Spirit indwells our hearts. We pray that you would awaken us to the truth that we will read today and, and that we will discuss. And we just pray encouragement Lord, as we think about what could be in this coming year, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and that we have all that you need to say to us, Lord. Our, our brothers and sisters uh, of, of the Old Testament era, and even Christ's era, they did not have um, the New Testament yet, and we thank you, Lord, that we come to such a special place in the history of the world, where we have both of your testaments. Thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, we pray that we would be encouraged and that we would enjoy our fellowship today. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, our approach to Scripture. So, story time. I'm going to tell you a story I've told you before on a number of occasions. Um, I, I came to Christ later in life, about 18, um, and I remember just being pretty on fire for evangelism, for um, reading the word, and just I, I, I read the Bible a lot. I would try to re write my own little commentaries and things like that, and I remember coming to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, again, single not married, not thinking I was going to be married anytime soon. 
but still interested what the Bible had to say about dating and marriage. So I go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and Paul seems to give this rule. I mean, there's a number of rules in there, but that you, that me, you all, we are not supposed to marry an unbeliever. And this just struck me as just really, really odd, very peculiar, right? I mean, the, most of the world is unbelievers. Just, that's just what most we have. I mean, in fact, my, my family, they were all unbelievers. And I was immersed, and I'm like, eh, I could, you know, you know, I have two older sisters. They had good qualities. You know, I'm looking for qualities like that in a, in a, in a woman who's not, you know, at, at a church, not a church. And I just thought it very unreasonable that we would be limited to believers. Um, I, was, I was under the assumption that I could pretty much argue anyone into the faith. And so I invented this thing called missionary dating. <laughs> I invented that. Like I thought, isn't it much more reasonable to actually, for everyone in the church who wants to be married, to target an unbeliever, and then within a year the church would like, times two. I mean, but I was thinking, okay, Paul's smart, Paul's being helped by God, I'm stupid, I'm new to this, I'm not going to marry an unbeliever, not that I was going to get married to anyone at the time. Well, flash forward, so, so then I eventually, I eventually went to seminary, and I eventually became uh, a pastor of young adults. And this is about 10 years later. I've been through scripture a few times, or a couple times. I've taken classes on exegesis. I've taken, I've taken, uh, I've done uh, classes in theology. And this, this happened a few times. And it was just so odd. But I get the, a knock on my door, like my office door, and someone would come in. And, you know, a, a young lady, it was mostly the ladies that would, I think maybe the ladies were more open. The guys were doing the same thing, but they weren't as... Uh, effusive about it. But someone would come in, they'd sit down, and I'd say, what, what do you, what's going on? And they said, well, I was just dropping, dropping something off at the church, and I just wanted to stop by and tell you the good news. And I was like, what is it? Like, I met someone. I'm like, you did? Where did you meet him? And then that answer didn't really, that wasn't a good answer. And then you used to keep probing. And you keep talking and keep asking questions because people can't prevaricate. They can't lie very quickly. So you just keep them on your toes. And then eventually you keep, and then you're eventually just, I would just eventually say, all right, is this person a believer? And they'd say, almost. <laughs> and I wanted to, because I love these people, I wanted to grab, reach across my desk and grab their face and say, you're being so unreasonable. This seem, I mean, now, I mean, 10 years later, when I was 28, there was nothing more unreasonable to yoke myself to someone who did not share the exact same love, my main love, as I did. I loved church, I loved scripture, and I just can't imagine yoking myself to someone who didn't share the same things. I mean, that, that's just reasonable, right? That's just human reason. But also, God tells us not to do that. 
But I think over time, just scripture becomes part of how you think, who you are, what you do. So, let's talk just briefly about Scripture's claims regarding itself. I think this is helpful. I think it's actually kind of interesting to see that Scripture actually declares itself to be authoritative. So we're going to jump around a little bit. Um, for those of you that are, have, have seminary training, this will probably be like nails on a chalkboard because I'm not like getting in the historical cultural context just just be gracious to me. So, so if you will, can anyone see, see that? Yeah, kind of. Let's go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, I'm actually going to start at 16. And we're not going to spend a lot of time in any of these verses, but I'll just... And if you don't have a Bible, there's one at the back. And I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't have the page numbers yesterday. I would have given you the page numbers. But Peter writes this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... And the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we are with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do, do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all. That no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So a few things that you might tease out here, um, and again, this would take a little bit of inference, is that scripture is to be trusted at every point. Humans had a role in writing it, but also it was guided by the Holy Spirit. It is to be trusted at every point. Let's jump to Ephesians 2. Uh, start at 2.19. And there is some, there is some debate uh, by commentators over the interpretation that I'm going to give this, to this passage. So starting at 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's go back a little bit to verse 20. The household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. 
Um, the way I take this, this passage and, and some other New Testament commentators take this passage is, is the apostles essentially stand for the New Testament, the prophets stand for the Old Testament, and the church is founded upon that foundation. Christ is that cornerstone, but the Old Testament and New Testament are the foundation. Um, Tom Schreiner and some other scholars, they'll actually argue that the prophets spoke, spoken of in this passage are actually the prophets that existed in the New Testament era. That could be, but um, I think it still has the same thrust. It's just not as, in my mind, as complete. But just this idea that the church is founded on the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, yeah, a lot of you probably have this memorized. Second Timothy. All scripture, all graphe, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That all scripture is breathed out by God. And that's just such an important point. It's authoritative. Um, if, if we had more time, we would talk about inerrancy. We don't have that time. But scripture is, is without error. We won't go to these passages, but it, it's, it's kind of fascinating. And th these are some of scripture's claims regarding other books of scripture. So it's interesting, and um, I just used two examples. In Hebrews 3.7 3, and Acts 4.25... When the writer, whoever wrote Hebrews, and then Luke when he wrote Acts, when he, just before he quotes part of, part of the book of Psalms, he writes, and the Holy Spirit says. Which is very interesting. If you go back to those Psalms and you look it up, it doesn't say author, Holy Spirit, right? But I think that's a really interesting point that there's just this acknowledgement by the New Testament writers that, yeah, the Holy Spirit said this. It doesn't even really matter what the human, what, who, who is the human that wrote this. The Holy Spirit says. Um, in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16, I, this is, I really like this passage. But this is basically an acknowledgement from, from Peter um, of the, of the uh, divinity of Paul's writings. And I guess it should be encouragement to you, too, because as you're going to see, Peter, Peter sometimes finds Paul difficult to read. So that's good. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. 
just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Of Paul's writings, Peter says, he, he refers to also the other scriptures. Scriptures here is the Greek is graphe, and that actually is an indication, that's the term that they use, I don't know, 50 or more times in the New Testament to refer to the Old Testament. So Paul, or Peter, the Apostle Peter, is putting Paul's, Paul's writings and his letters on the same level as Old Testament scripture, which I think is pretty cool. I like it. Um, you can turn to this on your own, but in 1 Timothy 5.18, um, Paul quotes both Deuteronomy and a passage from Luke. He, he, he quotes them both as the same verse. Not as definitive, not as definitive, but again, in, for in an instance where obviously Luke had already been written, and, and Paul is actually quoting authoritatively from both an Old Testament book and a New Testament book. I think that's pretty cool. I don't know about you. We could keep going on and on with this type of thing. Uh, the one thing I will say is, I mean, in terms of why do we have the books we have? Uh, we, don't, we don't really put it upon any, the council, there, there, are two, there are two councils that sort of declared the councils of Carthage that, that declared the scripture to be as, as it is now. But there are plenty of books that were up for consideration that were ruled out. In John 10, the expectation throughout the, throughout the history of the church is that the church hears the voice of Christ. They know the shepherd's voice. And hopefully many of you when you've read scripture, you've, you've felt that. It's God. That's God saying that. I mean, come, come to the, some of the sayings of Christ. There's no way. Humans are, humans are not that clever. Humans are not that smart. And we're, we're just not that pure. But if we were to go into the history of canonicity, and why do we have the books that we have, that's, that's, the main, that's the main thing, is that the church sensed early. They didn't come up with an authoritative list of books. They came up with a list of authoritative books. Skip that, skip that. So, Scripture's claims regarding us. Scripture's claims regarding us. Pre-Christ. Before we came to Christ, um, I will say this. I think you probably have experienced, a lot of you probably came to Christ at a later age. Probably some of you actually remember reading the Bible without being a, a true believer. And some things made sense. 
It seems as though God gives us illumination to an extent from time to time pre-Christ. But when you become a Christian, Scripture is to be an abiding principle. That is to be, that is to be your authority, and we have the Holy Spirit within us to illuminate us, to clarify it for us, and to actually show it to us as truth. But we have some problems. Just to consider this, because I just want to, for those of you that are very comfortable with your own reasoning abilities, I just want to remind real quick, vis-a-vis just these simple passages, that your reasoning capabilities yeah, you have some good reasoning capabilities, but they're very fallen. and very tw- They can be very twisted and very distorted. Um, Genesis 7. When Adam ate of the fruit that Eve gave to him, they realized that they were naked and their eyes were opened. There's something about Adam biting that fruit. But then, what we see in the, when they go into the garden in in verse 12, they're hiding from God. And God starts walking in the cool of the garden, and he asks Adam and Eve, where are you? And then he asks them, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat? And Adam says this. Again, Adam and Eve are still hanging out together. They weren't so fallen that they, they start jumping on each other and trying to eat each other and just like stomping on all the woodland creatures, trying to set, on, set all the trees on fire. I mean, they're not. They're still, reason's still intact. And what's Adam say? He says, the woman who you gave me. I mean, that's shrewd. He points one finger at the woman and one point, one finger at God. The woman who you gave me gave the fruit to me and I ate. Again, reason is still intact to some extent. But look how it's used. Now this, passage are all, this passage always gets me. I always want to argue against this. I, there's my... My gut reaction is to, is to argue against this passage a little bit. But Ephesians 2, I remember the first time this really hit me. I was actually in uh, uh, one of uh, Craig Perry's small groups, and we were going through a book by Snodgrass and Karen Lee Thorpe. And they, they focused on this passage, and I was like, wow. But listen to this. Think about your pre-Christian days. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let me read that again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of the disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I went to church my entire life before I came to Christ. I would say I wasn't following Satan. In fact, I was against his whole, his whole platform. But I wasn't worshiping him. Satan doesn't care that you don't worship him. He just doesn't want you to follow Christ. You can be Muslim, you can be whatever. He just doesn't want you to be a true believer. Th those are hard words, though. Those are hard words. Probably those of you who actually have years under their belt in not, in, in not being a Christian and remember very clearly the mindset and the heart set of not being a believer probably can appreciate this passage a little bit more quickly than those of you that came to Christ at an early age. There's a very big difference, hopefully. And for lack of time, we're going to skip the other one. I think you trust it. So, related issue of scripture and reason. Here, where I'm coming to the, the idea that's I've repeated on numerous occasions. What is reasonable to a Christian should change as her relationship with God and understanding of his word improves. Right? Should be his or her. But if you truly believe that scripture is God's word, you should approach it being prepared to have what you think of as reasonable or moral overturned. You've heard me say this before. A million times, right? Yeah? No? You guys need to pay attention better. I've, to I've told Craig for, and Jeff, for years we need to give quizzes to people before they're able to exit. <laughs> quizzes! We could do it like Google Forms. I mean, it wouldn't hurt us any. Take notes. That's Professor John talking. <laughs> or in other words, a scripture-imbibed mind and one devoid of scripture should often think radically different things as reasonable or moral. Hopefully, hopefully you don't look at the majority secular culture out there and think, right on. Because if you do, there's a big problem. And not that major majority secular culture is a monolith. I mean, you have, but they're, you can keep going higher and eventually bunch them together. But time, as time goes on, you should, to some extent, feel stranger and stranger amidst the majority secular culture. I just think you should. That doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to navigate it well. Um, but I think, I think uh, a cry of a, a believer that's growing is, as I've gotten older, I keep, I keep wish, finding myself more and more often saying, I, 
please, Jesus Christ, come back. I'm ready. But again, our true, if you're truly a believer, you should approach Scripture being prepared to have what you think of as reasonable or moral overturned. It's a big difference between us and the rest of the world. I want to skip over that. Um, other important principles so that you th you're thinking of as you're, as you're reading Scripture this new year, just a few things. Unity of Scripture. Keep in mind that Scripture is, it has one author behind it. It has a number of human authors, but it does have one divine author that has, that has crafted all of the books of Scripture. Keep that in mind. Scripture should not contradict Scripture. I think one of, one of the most fun things uh, for me to do is to come. I actually loved to focus on passages that I find very difficult, even seemingly contradic contradictory to other passages. It's just great fun. Because the, because the problem is with the, inter the human interpreter. It's not the problem with Scripture. It's a problem with us. Also, genre rules. Um, and this is what they spend a lot of time in classes called hermeneutics. History is history. Read it as such. And then you, you know, and you go to Song of Solomon. How do you take that? I don't know. There's, there's, there's rules to the genres. And sometimes you can tease those out. But not every book is written the same. There's tons of history, though. Tons of history in Scripture. And then this next principle, um, the analogy of Scripture. Oftentimes when you have two, two pieces of Scripture that come, that seem to be sp speaking about the same thing, the rule, the interpretive rule, is you let the clearer interpret the less clearer. And so we have, it's, we have uh, instances of this, even in the Reformation. Uh, James 2 Familiar with James, the story of James 2? Martin Luther. Martin Luther wanted James out of the Bible. He called it the epistle of straw. He thought James 2 um, promulgated, advanced the idea of um, a justification through works, through faith and works. I won't go into the whole thing, but if you look at James, because Paul is so clear, it's justification through faith. Justification through faith. Justification through faith. And there's other people who talk about justification through faith in the New Testament. And even in the Old Testament. And then you come to James. Well, there's actually multiple different options you can read James. You can mean you're justifying your works, you're justifying your faith through your works by your works actually show that you're a believer to other people. Some people... The Roman Catholics will actually take it to mean you actually are justified through your faith and, and your good works. But also some people could read, this, read the passage as saying that, well, we'll be justified in the judgment. You know, you'll, you'll get better, more crowns or more jewels in your crown through, um, uh, through your works. But anyway, there's, those are just three options. James chapter 2 is just less clear. And so the clearer and to helps interpret the less clear. So that's called the analogy of Scripture. We've used that since the Reformation. 
Um, and a lot, of, a lot of people attack that today, but that is good, solid, logical approach to scripture. Oh, this is another important part. You know what this is? Corn dogs. Delicious. I was raised in the carnival. I was, this nation was founded on carny folk. And you know what a corn dog is? What's a corn dog made of? Hot dogs with? Cornbread. Cornbread, just, you, you, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You, like, you dip it in this cornbread batter, and then you fry it. That's, that's what the stick's for, to keep your, and it's delicious and nutritious. But this is what I teach to, my, teach to my students, that every passage is a corn dog. And why? Other than, like, corn dogs are awesome. That every text has meat to it. Every text has meat. And around it, it has a historical, cultural... Context is close. Corn text. Yeah. Close. You're a good student. Those Rumleys, can you picture them in, at Cornerstone? Like, they were like, yeah, Luke, Lacey. And they probably both put their hands up a few times, and Lacey's glaring at them, and then their eyes met, and they saw each other for the first Is that how it happened? Beautiful. Come to Cornerstone. Meet your future spouse. Thanks. Now Cornerstone will pay for my mileage here and back. But, um, so for instance, thou shall not kill. That has just a, a very thin veneer of cornbread on it, right? Just a very thin historical cultural context. Like, you don't even really need, like, thou shall not kill is easy. But do not eat a, or do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. A kid like goat, like baby goat. Sorry. Do not. I know I ruined some of your lunch plans today. Like, I mean, the cornbread is thick there. I, I probably shouldn't have brought that up because I'm actually not sure what the meat is, but there's meat in there. But my point is, no, no, te no text of, of scripture, no passage of scripture is just cornbread. It's not just historical, that's just for them. There's always something for you. I've actually run into scholars who will start, you know, will start not arguing, debating, conversing. And I'm like, oh man, you're, you just, you just t totally said that that, First uh, Timothy chapter 2, a somewhat controversial passage. It's where it, it limits um, the teaching office um, and authority to men. And again, it's easy. It's again easy for me up here. I'm a guy. I have, but I've told you that that whole story. But they. But a lot of times people want to say that's just for the Ephesian church. That doesn't apply to us today. Like, ooh. You're just tell, telling me that's cornbread. There's, some, there's meat in that text. 
It was a timeless, eternal principle. And then and the stick in the analogy is what you pull out and stab. Sorry, it's too far. We'll edit that on, we'll edit that. I, violence is not the answer, most of the time. So, real quick, let's land this plane. Benefits to our lives. Um, sometimes scripture confirms and reinforces ideas you've had. Like, don't poke someone with a sharp stick. You felt that was wrong, the Bible will confirm it in some way or fashion. But here, overcome wrong theological ideas. I put the WWE up there. It used to be WWF. Does anyone watch the... You don't have to say now because half of you would not probably be okay with that. But when I grew up, it was Hulk Hogan. Does anyone know Hulk Hogan? I'm dating myself here. Hulk Hogan and like uh, the Iron Sheik and Randy Savage, Rowdy, Roddy. Piper. I always think Ronnie half the time I think of him. But I always used to think, like, when I was like eight, and I was thinking, good thing that we have, like, God's like Hulk Hogan. He's in the ring. And then every now and then they get, like, John Smith. You know, the guy that you're like, he doesn't even have a cool name. Actually, he's a little doughy. You know? Like, he's going to lose. And I'm like, that's Satan. They get in the ring and like, yeah, maybe he gets Hulk Hogan on the road, but eventually like choke slam, if they even had that back then, I'm not sure. But, we're, and I thought, it's so cool that we have the champion, God. However, as I've come to read scripture more and more, and you study it more in depth, you realize, ah, man, those are, that analogy's not good. Satan can't even get in the ring with God. I mean, he's just another finite character in God's infinite hand. And it just disabuses you of some there, there are some traditions that worry about Satan quite a bit. And there are reasons, but, and there are reasons too. But in the end, I mean, God wins. There's, I mean, there's no way Satan can win. Just things like that. It just de-angsts you, angsts me. Um, overcome wrong ideas from our cultural and intellectual milieu. You all are, con we're all constantly being brainwashed by something, correct? Sometimes the brainwashing is good, sometimes it's bad. Let me give you a for instance. Um, I was, again, I was, I was born in ugh, 77, I remember I was at Tiny, or Tiny Tot Tumbling, and we get a sucker at the end. I was three. And as per usual, I wound, uh, wound down the window to throw my sucker stick out of the window, as you did in the 70s and 80s. Does anyone remember this? Or did I grow up in like, does anyone? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I gotta like strike this analogy. I mean, we would sucker sticks. I just, so many times I remember throwing sucker sticks. And my mom was like, no, no, Jonathan, we can't do that anymore. And I'm like, what? She's like, you get a $500 fine. I was like, I don't know what that means, but that sounds like a lot of money. They were really good about the no littering thing. Flash forward to 2007, Megan and I, 
plucky young married folk are in the car in, at Woodland Mall and we see someone take out a banana peel and a Snickers wrapper and throw it out the window. You remember this? We were incensed. I was like, did you get their license plate? Oh, I got their license plate. Should we call the police? Oh yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. All that to say is we are constantly being bombarded by different messaging and scripture is the one thing that's going to be able to help us to, to piece. I do think it's, it's not good to throw to litter, but maybe I'm just part of the machine now. I, I don't know. But, I mean, scripture is the one thing that's going to help push back. It's the lenses. Uh, make decisions, make better decisions later. Nah, that's kind of like the first one. Um, let's help us grow as Christians, of course. Um, I think for, for some people, uh, early on, it was hard for them to pray. You just don't know God as well. This is how we get to know him better. And what is more, if we, if we were like doing another class or something, we would talk about how the Holy Spirit indwells you. There's actually encouragement there. There's, um, again, I go back to the means of grace. There's this idea that, um, that's, that as we read scripture, ordinarily, not necessarily all the time, but ordinarily there is an expectation that the Holy Spirit is working through you, working through those words. Um, I saw a pilgrim recently. Did anyone see it at, at CU, Pilgrim? I loved that play, or musical, I'm not sure, musical. And they talk about the, the Bible with the words that can't stay on the page. They, they, that was a refrain. And that's kind of the idea, the Holy Spirit working through those words. And again, some, some days you're not going to be like, you know, we, we all have this, this idea of walking somewhere off into the forest, sitting down with our journal and Bible. I mean, if that's your expectation every time, you're just never going to read. Sometimes you will read amidst the chaos of your house and the chaos of your day. Right? But you need to have the expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to work through that. You're, you, again, you're not going to feel like Every time, oh, I feel so strangely holy, right? Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> you stole my wallet, but bless you just, I mean, you're just, but over time, over time, the Holy Spirit's going to work on you. I think that's a huge encouragement. So if you're, you know, we, um, we have one more day of 2023, but do seriously consider what, how you're going to approach scripture this year. What's your plan? And again, don't, if you've never read before, if you've never been rigorous, don't like say, I'm going to read 30 minutes a day if you've never read before. I learned this lesson from Jim Seitzma. I was in a I was in a group with him, a men's group, and I was leading it, and we we're supposed to challenge ourselves, like, I'm going to do 10 minutes each day, and then the next week, I'm going to do 15 minutes a day. 
And every time, Jim, Jim was like, five minutes, five minutes. And at the end, I was, it was kind of irksome because it's like, well, here's, here's one of our elders, and he's like, he's not challenging himself. Jim, you weren't challenging yourself. But then you get to come to know Jim. Jim will ask you some obscure biblical questions that embarrass myself as a theologian because I'm like, uh, is that like Second Chronicles or something? And Jim has not, how many times have you missed in the last four decades? A couple, a few times. He's different because of that. But again, he, he manages expectations. So think about those things as well. Um, if, you're, if, if you've never run before and you want to run a marathon, you don't go out and try to run a marathon each day, right? So take, take your time. Take your time. Consistency. We're out of time. Let me pray for us. I think we may have another song.